Welcome to Economics and Beyond. I'm Rob Johnson, president of the Institute for New Economic Thinking. Say you can kill my body. But you know you can't mess with my mind. So don't you can't kill my mind. You know we'll go away. We're gonna go away. Come back, come back, come back, come back. My second time. I'm here today again. We've done podcasts before with Long Chen. He is the president of the Luhan Academy, and he and his team have created a fascinating report on the digital circular economy for net zero. There are dimensions in the report that relate to the role and possibilities of the digital, the entire systemic vision of the circular economy, including what is involved in governance, and I'll let him explore. He's had some brilliant co-authors working with he and his team, in particular Patrick Bolton from Princeton University, Michael Spence, Nobel laureate, well known to the economics uh, community of INET, Peter Lacey, Ming Zhu. It's a very, very, uh, how would I say, in a, in a time when people are in distress, it's a very encouraging report. People are afraid of digital transformation, but now they envision how to use digital transformation to diminish our fear and improve the likelihood of sustainability. And uh, their circular economy, I think, is a very important way of seeing how to be, which you might call respectful of the side effects, what economists call the externalities. And uh, so let's, uh, how do you say, push off from shore and uh, go on the voyage with you. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Rob. So let's we'll start with what inspired you and your team to say, this is what we've got to do. This is the report that we can see or we can articulate to help the world get on course. Where, where did the inspiration come from? Right, so, but let me start with maybe some personal experience. Um, so actually, uh, we realized the, the power of the digital technology long uh, many years ago, I think back in 2016. So at that time, I was the uh, chief strategy officer for for on, for the Ant Group, the, the Alipay, the, the payment uh, company. And at that time, we were doing inclusive finance, uh, so make payments available, digital payment available for everyone possible at a very little cost. But at that time, we were inclusive, but then we realized that uh, uh, we, we would like to do something for the environment uh, challenges. Uh, at that time, I remember the, the climate in Beijing was really uh, the, the bad, you know, so we, we, we couldn't, uh, it's very foggy and the uh, air is dirty, we couldn't see each other and the kids suffer or this or that. And, the, and at that time, it was very, uh, impressive. You can you can say that you can hear that that the governments uh, and the big companies they 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 commit to do a lot of things, which is I think they want to do a lot of things. Individuals they suffer in the bad uh, air, 
you know, in the cities, everywhere. But individuals feel powerless. There's nothing they can do about this. Uh, but it affects everybody's life. Um, so at that time, we thought well, we would like to do something about it. So what we did then is we come up with a, with an um, app in Alipay. It's called the Ant Forest. Um, so basically, uh, what that does then is use the digital technology and the big data. It is uh, based upon every user's uh, approval, you know, to track their carbon fit footage. So let's say Rob, you want today, rather than driving to work, you decide to take a subway. That would mean uh, reduction of the carbon emission, and that can be calculated uh, according to certain scientific formula, you know, through experts. So that we can actually accumulate, we can calculate and accumulate how much you you have saved, uh, reduce the carbon emission. Uh, we create, effectively we have created a carbon account for everyone. Then uh, the interesting thing is that you can actually monitor this account. Uh, it's going to show up as a little little green ball, and we we, we plot a a forest. It's going to show up in little green ball in your forest, and uh, then there you can collect this little green ball. Then a little, a little virtual tree will grow. Then gradually, as you accumulate your your carbon reduction behavior, this virtual tree will grow into a full one. And at that time, a real tree will be planted in the deserted areas, the areas that uh, forest is needed most. So that is a simple idea. And also, actually, if you have friends, you have friend circles, they see each other's uh, little green balls. You can collect, in a sense, you can steal each other's uh, energy, but only through friends, you know, the people you know well. Uh, then it creates a friendly competition, a, a social challenge to each other to do that. Uh, so that's a little program, and uh, it blossomed uh, within half a year. I think it, uh, so, with, uh, within in the past several years, it has grown into the one of the largest, uh, uh, fastest growing app uh, application globally. It has accumulated more than, uh, uh, I think right now it's probably more than uh, 600 million users uh, uh, are using that. What this really says is that uh, effectively you have 600 million people, they monitor their green behavior. Uh, in the meantime, they are planting trees every day. We've planted a lot of trees uh, and they can be seen through the satellite because there's huge areas in the desert areas. So, and this is, uh, I think, a cool example to show that um, what can be done as I would call this a button-up approach. It's not through the, through the government's pledge, from the big companies' pledge, which is crucial but not sufficient, far from sufficient. Every citizen, every institution, we are, we are affected and we're responsible to do something about it. The, 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 the challenge is how can you design something, make this scalable, make it everybody a willing people, change their behavior and get everybody involved in a, a affordable, scalable way to achieve the, uh, what we want to do against the climate change. And so that's something you combine the power of the digital technology and a concept we call the, the circular economy. And so, which is something you do uh, to uh, 
to help the reduce the carbon reduction, the mix, maximum use of the energy. Uh, so anyway, so that's, uh, that's what we have been doing in the past years. And we're just putting uh, at the current climate, you know, the environment, we're trying to put something new stars together for this report. That's some background. Okay. Well, let's work on helping the audience comprehend. You, you talk digital circular economy. Let's break it into two parts. How does digitalization help? I, I could infer that from some of what you just described with the app and so forth. But there are many areas that I see in the report related to energy, transportation, buildings, and other sectors that you articulate. But what is digitalization doing? It, is it obviating the need to burn carbon in order to get things done? Like, how would I say, you can do remote school, you don't have to commute to school every day, things like that. But but tell us uh, just broadly how digitization is, a, what you might call, a central part of this strategy. Right, so the digitization in nature is a, a, info, a revolution of information. And uh, so, uh, and information that has an important uh, uh, feature is called uh, non-robbery. So which, what it says is that uh, it can be used unlimited times. My use of anybody's use of the information does not re consume the uh, information itself. Uh, sometimes we say information uh, data is like oil, uh, it, but actually data is not oil because data can be burned unlimited times. What I'm trying to say is that when we use the information for any activity involves information, uh, you can, if you use the digitized version of that, then actually uh, you can reuse the energy. And you, it becomes very scalable and much more efficient way of doing it without physical use of the resources. For example, let's say the uh, video, uh, we can use the video conference. And one economist, uh, Faber, last year, he's also a, a fellow at the Lohan Academy. He wrote a, a paper last year, the aspect that if you have a virtual conference, it's like us, we're talking to each other. They have more than 200, 207 participants. They calculate, estimate their emitted uh, 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 the carbon, you know. They find it's only one sixth, 166. Uh, is a very minor portion of the emission that would have been produced by a physical conference. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, digitization can help uh, reduce the carbon emission at least in three ways. One is the virtualization, uh, which essentially you replace a lot of the, the uh, use of the physical resources by uh, virtualization, you know, by using the digitized uh, version of it. The second way I think to do it is that uh, uh, make us smarter uh, because of the big data, because of the AI, this or that, make us smarter to measure and track uh, our carbon footage to optimize our, our use of resources. And that's the second way to do it. And a third way I think is equally crucial is the connectivity. Um, so because of the internet, because of the, the you know, we, we are connected to each other. And so that actually is critical in economy, in economy's concept. Because in any economy, if you have to have certain design like a market that get everybody involved, they have the incentive to exchange, to, to allocate resources. But 
uh, with that connectivity, you build certain markets. Uh, so help each other to fulfill their goals, demand and supply uh, using the digital tools. And uh, it was uh, traditionally you can only do markets very locally, you know, uh, in, for any store in the big city, cosmopolitan cities, uh, usually 80% of your customers comes from uh, uh, within 10 kilometers surrounding your, your, your location. But now we know that we can trade, we can talk to each other, things happen, break the traditional boundary. The average distance between the bar seller, for example, in, in, in China's uh, uh, online platforms is around a, a thousand kilometers. So the traditional uh, uh, physical uh, uh, limits were broken. Uh, my point here is that we can actually organize new possible ways to collaborate, to uh, to make the use of resources better for people who wants to uh, sell green products, who, who wants to have demand for that meet each other. And that's, that's, that's also crucial. So through virtualization, uh, through the smarter use, uh, use of the, uh, uh, make, make us smarter uh, to make the uh, uh, environmental friendly decisions and connect the supply demand for that. Uh, to, uh, so through at least these three ways we can uh, digital can help the uh, the uh, uh, battle against challenge against uh, climate crisis. Cool. Well, I remember reading in a section of your report about the use of data to heighten the awareness of with renewables, whether wind or solar. They they have what you might call variations within the day. There's daylight and there's dark, or the the winds go up and down during the day, and until we have, how do I say, extraordinary batteries, you can perhaps shift the time when you choose to consume, at the time when the supply is most plentiful. I thought that was a very interesting matching, that that awareness uh, can which you might call allow society collectively to be much more reliant upon renewables because they can time their demand to synchronize when the supply is greater. And uh, so there, there are lots of fascinating dimensions to the report, but I remember thinking how insightful that one was when, uh, when I started. Uh, yes. Other things, uh, I know you talked a, a little bit, a very popular theme right now, how do cryptocurrencies relate to this energy challenge? Ah, crypto. So let, let me first uh, 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 respond to what you commented uh, just now. Um, so I think the important, important future of the, uh, for, the, for the human society, uh, for the energy use is actually, it, it needs to be uh, local and uh, somehow decentralized. Uh, and so that's the, uh, so that and that's related to the crypto too. So you you want to have a decentralized uh, 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 solution uh, for the energy use. What I'm trying to say is that for, for so a lot of countries they have committed to you know for for the net zero uh, within certain years. We, we the so society as a whole would like to get this done. Let's say by 2060 uh, latest. Uh, now, but but you see a lot of this. Uh, 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 the, the renewable energy like the wind, uh, solar energy, uh, as as you know, it has the seasonal, uh, it has daily effect. You know, you, you can it, 
it, how do you get them and store them and transport them uh, from the areas that they are abundant to areas that really in need so there's a lot of the it's very costly to do this it's and that's why it's very uh, kind of ironic if you look at last year actually uh, so many countries uh, 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 pledged uh, the net zero uh, but actually the price of the oil as a lot of the coal a lot of the uh, uh, traditional energy resources it just the price just skyrocketed <laughs> so that has something related with the demand the demand doesn't shift as supply is limited and then it just it still has to go up so this that we have a long way to do that but I believe the important future of that uh, in, the, in the near future that uh, a huge chunk pro probably close to half of the energy we use will be produced uh, locally uh, for, through the wind and, and the solo and so but that is that, that varies throughout the day so we need to be smart uh, with how to, we need to have this AIoT a lot of the um, uh, 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 devices it helps us to collect the data uh, sorry collect the energy you know turn and store it and use it and actually we ha we need to have this virtual uh, electricity uh, coordination system you know so to help the locality to, to do that so that I think that would con constitute a huge chunk probably half of the energy we use and that's a decentralized solution rather than a, a country's uh, uh, comprehensive electricity uh, a network uh, so that is the decentralized solution I think that's a good part of the we call this decentralized or crypto uh, part of this that's the perhaps the bad part of this uh, the bad part of this is for example is the uh, uh, the Bitcoin uh, 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 cryptocurrencies right now the problem of the of this occurrences is that I, I, I'm very in favor of the decentralized solutions you know it's 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 it's, it's great but the the problem of this is that because there's zero trust there's another zero zero trust in the users of the cryptocurrencies so and they don't know each other as no institutions to to coordinate the trust let's say I want to uh, send you a uh, one one a Bitcoin you know but then how do you how can you trust I send you this and how, how can you how can I prove I do have one Bitcoin there's no institution to verify this so it verify this through the burning energy you know people uh, it's called mining right and on the internet actually a lot of people just prove that my dollar, one one uh, Bitcoin exists and the transaction happened they need to burn a lot of them uh, a lot of the energy so according to one calculation to for me to send you uh, one uh, one dollar worth of this uh, let's say I want to send, send you one dollars of cryptocurrency the cost of that if we all consider it's like twenty six dollars you know so so it's just very it has a lot of externalities right but my point is this so in that way then it's in order to uh, to have the to live in a environment of zero trust you actually have to burn a lot of energy and that's not necessary so that's at this at least at this stage uh, it's not very uh, 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 energy efficient at all uh, so so that's the uh, not the best example of the energy use when digitization is involved 
at this point. I hope it could do much better, but right now it's not. So the, no, the other, we talked about digitization and all of the efficiencies that it allows us to aspire to achieve and, and actually achieve. What is the circular economy? Describe that dimension of the kind of the big picture of your report. Right. So circular, circular economy is a scientific uh, economic concept. Basically, it is an economy that is restorative and regenerative by design. And it aims to keep products, components, and materials at their highest utilization potential and uh, value at all times, uh, both through their technology and the biological circles. So essentially, uh, you can think about for our ancestors, they, they were having some kind of a circular economy, even though it's not very efficient. Uh, they rely on the the, the solar system, the, the sun, sunlight, you know, to generate. They have the food, and they, they consume. Uh, then it kind of uh, it's it's circular in in its way. Uh, it has, uh, yeah. But then, so the, the the point here is that in order to have an economy, economy means um, is the humans for the human society all the. Uh, uh, production inputs or efforts together, resource allocations together to, to make the economy going. So that has the economy part. But make it circular, that means for every input, we would like to uh, make the best efficient use of it, the regenerative uh, and uh, restorative. And to, for example, recollect the, the waste. So for the whole life cycle of the use of any of the materials, that can be maximized use and it can be uh, restorative and regenerative. So that's the essential can, uh, um, concept. It's only it's only when in such a way that we we can achieve the goal that is called net zero uh, emission of the of the carbon. Uh, so the, the challenge of the circular economy. So the concept is uh, it's beautiful. The, the challenge is how because it's it's very it's not very scalable. Think about how are we able to uh, to do this in a scalable, efficient way uh, for, for every step, every procedure we do, we know uh, how uh, we can track and measure and uh, manage our use of the energy. So that part, we, in order to have the power of scalability, we need the digital technology. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, there, when you talk about circularity, I mean, there, I understand it conceptually, but I saw some fascinating, just what I'll call specific examples I've never heard of, like markets or networks, digital networks for used clothing, so that you're not having to harvest any more cotton. You can do other things with the land or what have you. Uh, there, there seem to be many, many dimensions where that regenerative or uh, non-wastefulness of these myriad, this whole constellation of ingredients, and it almost makes, which might call, it almost, it's like making the population smaller, given the old methods, because now instead of gobbling everything up, we regenerate it and use it a second or third or a fourth or many, many times, depending on how durable it is. And, uh, and this, this makes a tremendous amount of sense. But it's, I imagine, um, what you might call, 
it requires some very careful thought about the design of incentives for people to be conserving and recycling and recirculating. Uh, is, that, is that a political, which you might call responsibility? Or, or can you do these things through digital technology innovation where, where governance does not have to, which you might call, be the overlord and enforce these things? That's, yeah, that's a great question. So um, the, the just now, the, the case you mentioned, we, we can call this re-commerce. And actually, it's, it's prevalent in many countries. For example, in the United States, you know, we have this uh, uh, Craigslist. Um, so so uh, Craigslist is one of the largest uh, digitized secondhand marketplace. Um, so, and there's estimates that uh, the, the Craigslist has led to about 2% two, two to 6% annual reduction in municipal uh, solid waste uh, per capita generated. Uh, so it's in China, and we have something called idle fish. It's, it's right now the largest uh, secondhand uh, uh, commodity uh, uh, goods um, uh, marketplace uh, in the world. Uh, so what, for example, for clothes, so for every piece of clothes, if uh, several people can, uh, can wear it, and it can use it in its life cycle, then that means uh, several times of reduction of the production uh, uh, on the supply side. Uh, so that is, so that is uh, uh, regenerative, you know, circular. And so, but that has, uh, so that's the connectivity part of the te digital technology because it's only when you, there's a lot of people, they have the uh, idle items that they do not want to use anymore. Like the clothes, you know, they're actually still pretty, you know, very good condition, but they don't want to use anymore. But then they can sell it on the market. And then a lot of the people, uh, they, they actually they can need it. They need it and they can buy it at a very affordable price. Uh, so if this is a very good uh, uh, example of the use of the idle uh, resources. And actually for, for the idle fish in China, it has more than 300 million uh, users uh, with, with more than 20 million active users every day. So they buy and sell a lot of secondhand stuff. And uh, a huge chunk of those are young people. And we find that very young people, they actually, they, they have better sense of the environmental issues. And they actually, they like the use the old, uh, the, the reuse the stuff. And because this reuse stuff are actually in very good condition, uh, they could be even trendy or uh, good stuff. But then, uh, let, let's say a, a second-hand iPhone, for, 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 for example, you know, so, so, so it's not the, the, the new, newest brand, but actually it's still very, in very good quality and uh, all cl clothes, a lot of stuff. Uh, so, so that's the, uh, a good example. Now, uh, for that, for that uh, marketplace to happen, uh, actually you don't need the government intervention. You do need to have certain mechanism design. To, to, uh, to meet the supply and demand, you have to create a trust system such that those items are not for fraud, you know, to, to verify it's true and it's reliable. And so, so you, you, you have to have this whole uh, design, uh, use the digital technology to use it, to, to, to make it happen in a trustworthy way. The buyers and sellers, they didn't know each other. Somehow they can trust that this is secondhand stuff, but it works it's in good quality 
I'm not uh, uh, get into a fraud. So it's kind of stuff. So that uh, can be done through the technology in a in a scalable, efficient way without the government. So that meets the incentive. That's why we call this a uh, economy. It's not just technology. Uh, uh, you have to do this in a, a economy, which means evolves everybody's uh, in, in incentive. Uh, Ant forest, as I just mentioned at the beginning, is another good example that we actually, because the consumers, the users, they would like, they're happy to see, to see their little virtual tree to grow uh, at a very, uh, it's done custom to do that. So then that's good enough. So that at Unforest actually it uh, it has becomes as I mentioned is one of the fastest growing um, uh, app uh, mobile app in, in the world at that time, uh, and it later it won it won the uh, United Nations Champion of the Environment Award uh, because of the efforts, and this again requires very little government support. Uh, so I'm giving you multiple examples with to say that with the uh, digital technology and with the smart design, uh, we can do this kind of stuff without government uh, intervention. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things can be done without government, but to be what you might call complete in your digital circular economy, what role is there for government? I mean, I'm not saying, uh, it will always be performed. I'm saying, in your vision, what's the necessary elements of governance or governance awareness to to join and enhance this system? Yeah, I think governments are crucial uh, because environment, environmental challenge happens a lot of time because of the externality. We know in, in economics, we know that uh, uh, the market sometimes fails because individuals, uh, the energy users, they don't uh, bear the whole cost of doing that to the environment. So there's a lot of externality there. The market cannot solve this problem by itself. So I think, uh, first of all, the government has to have the leadership to to collect uh, the whole society's efforts to set goals, to set certain uh, uh, through the laws, you know, through the regulations, uh, requirements, uh, call for actions, uh, coordinate. Uh, so that is essential. I think the government is essential. Uh, and indeed, many countries, there are many governments and the uh, big institutions have committed to do this for the for society. My, my problem is that sometimes I call this the, 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 the top-down big boy approach. The big boys boys needs to be responsible, but the, that's not far from enough because there also needs to be a button-up approach that has to involve the the the, the individuals, the, the the small and the micro enterprises because we are the consumers and we decide the demand. If we do not change our behavior, if we are not get involved, there's very little hope for this whole economy to achieve the net zero. But this, for this bottom-up approach to be scalable, you need to have certain technology, and this technology is, is a crucial in this regard. So my point here is that on both sides is uh, is needed, and we call this the social economic governance. Uh, you, you need governments. You need the people's. Uh, 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 we need we need the culture and habits to change. We need the top-down and bottom-up 
approach together uh, for technology to play a role on the whole society. That has been the case if we look look back on the the, the impact of technology on society as a whole. Yeah. Just uh, for the purpose of our audience, uh, many uh, in this Institute for New Economic Thinking are dedicated students to the history of economic thought. Obviously, there's innovation here in this digital world and so forth, but are there, are there precedents? I saw, remember, in the notes, I looked at uh, the Nobel laureate Eleanor Ostrom had a book that you all cited on uh, understanding institutional diversity, and there was another book from Cambridge Press, Andrew Jordan and others did on uh, governing climate change. It was like polycentricity, and I'm just looking at your references and so forth, but are there pillars, are there people who, how would I say, when you look back, wisely could see these different structures that you're pulling together now? Maybe not the digital dimension, but the circular dimension and the, the nature of governance. Is, are there precedents or are we, if you will, in a brand new world? Um, I think we, uh, so to battle the climate change, uh, people do realize the, the strengths or the necessity of these uh, crucial elements. So obviously there's, there's a previous, uh, uh, and the circular economy were not the, of, of course, the first. It's been uh, cir circulated around for some time. Um, so we, we understand that, so there's, if we think about the uh, digital circular economy, there are three keywords here. One is digital, one is circular, and one is economy. So all the three uh, elements have been emphasized uh, through different channels. There's a lot of precedence. So we know that uh, we need to, we, we, this is climate change, change. essentially to solve that, you have to do things circularly. So you have to reuse the energy, the maximum uh, uh, efficient way to use of that. So we need the con we need to be circular. But then it has to be the economy. Economy means that it's not just that you order people to do this. We are we run the human society lives in an economy, which means that uh, all the involved people they have to utilize their resources uh, in a uh, incentive driven uh, efficient way. So it has to be economy. It cannot be just planned. Just be the order, but just restrictions. You cannot do this, cannot do that. But that's not enough. It have people have to have the incentive to this. So to do that, and to make it in the uh, related to the to the uh, home. So that needs to be economy. So that's the concept we need. To, so then, of course, economists have written a lot about the what's marketplace. Uh, a lot is doing that. So that's the economy part. The third part is the digital technology. So that is the. We, how do you make the circular economy happen, but in a scalable way, efficient way? And you need a technology. It's not just about the energy technology itself. You also need to have the digital part and uh, make everybody involved. And then to, together to battle the climate change, uh, the, the, the crisis. So I think to put together is what probably relatively uh, it, one of the early ones to really emphasize on this. But I think the concept, the individual elements are known, and sometimes people put them together, but we, we emphasize that it's, this is probably one of the few, the, the, 
unavoidable. We should really best use the combine those three uh, key elements together. So that's the yeah, that's what our understanding. Another dimension that people express a lot of concern about these days is that in the era of globalization, I'll be I'll be kind of silly about it. Maybe the Treaty of Westphalia is dead, meaning the notion of the nation state and integrity of boundaries is really drawn into question because capital can move around the world in nanoseconds and there are all kinds of side effects. Uh, you know, Los Angeles talks about its pollution, but it can't control it because it comes from other places in the Pacific Ocean or whatever. And it feels to me like, I guess the, the what I'm trying to set up is a question, which is, I can see in a closed governed place, putting this system together works. But we almost need it to be done simultaneously in every region or nation. There has to be kind of like a global agreement for a platform deployment everywhere, because to be uh, simple about it, pollution and poison in Philadelphia and Detroit harms people in the long term in Southern Africa. And so how, how do we, in, how do, in other words, maybe it's COP27 will be too soon, but how do we put this on the table at the COP meetings to create an agreement to deploy it side by side everywhere? A lot of people who didn't like global governance don't like global governance because they say it's up there at the top for the whole world and it's not sensitive to the region. But in the early parts of your presentation and in your report, you talk about the need for that decentralization and that intimate awareness in each little pocket. But in order for us to get the common good, we need all these places to work at the same time employing these methods. We need a global agreement to deploy them in each region. Do you think that's feasible? Right. So the essentially what you describe is a challenge. Uh, as we as we talk about that uh, environmental challenge, there's a lot of externalities. And uh, so that externalities a lot of time is outside of individual, but you can say it's also beyond local. So then you have a bigger. You need we need to have a bigger and bigger circular economy. And then here we're talking about maybe a global circular economy, uh, which means globally. Collectively, we are effectively achieving achieving these goals, and that's extremely difficult because different countries, uh, like the different locals, they are they, they have different development uh, uh, level uh, stages. Uh, so, uh, so in, in developing countries, in much less developed countries, they they're trying to survive, and it's, it's very difficult for them actually to ask for uh, to, for ask them to to really do a lot of things. A battle climate change. You know, to, they can only enjoy the uh, greener uh, food uh, uh, production in certain way. They're, they're barely surviving. You know, in some, and that's why in uh, more advanced countries, uh, then they are much more active in advocating for this. But we have to have the uh, sympathy for each other. We have to understand we are at different stages. Then that uh, highlights, I think, uh, several things. It highlights the the collective leadership uh, uh, of the uh, global uh, a lot of countries. You know the we the governments 
We need to understand this battle actually face all of us. We we are we are not immune to this. If another country uh, pay no attention to the environment issues, then everybody is affected. So collectively, the the governments have to have do this, and that's why you know it's the we we need to have the the, the COP twenty seven twenty twenty eight. We have to do something really about this. This is the on the uh, of the. Uh, Government side, we also needs to be uh, so we have to have the joint agreement to to help each other. You know, for example, the the, the developed countries they have to provide technology. It's also to, to provide the maybe the necessary funds to help the developing countries to battle that. Otherwise, it's uh, uh, hypocritical. You know, to just uh, ask them to do things they are barely surviving. But uh, then, uh, so we have to help each other to do that. Then we also needs to have the uh, economy. We mentioned that uh, we want to make the whole world circular, but then you want to have the economy so that everybody involved, uh, uh, regardless of the uh, economic level, they have the incentive to do uh, environmental friendly things, activities. Then you need to have the technology uh, to 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 make that into the scalable way, and we also so to, for that to happen. Then it's the decentralized uh, efforts. Uh, Using the properly used the tech technology and the and the mechanism design also works. So that I think you can see, we can see this big picture is possible, but we're far from that. Uh, fortunately, I think more and more uh, governments and the companies, institutions, individuals are uh, they uh, they are more aware of that uh, to, uh, and uh, and we're making efforts to do that. But really, we have very uh, limited time left. Uh, uh, we probably if we to uh, to achieve the goal of the Paris Accord to to limit the increase of the temperature on on, on the on the our planet within 1.5 degree, we only have at the current level of the uh, carbon uh, uh, emission of our production and life uh, a living uh, standard we have fewer than about 10 years, so a lot a lot should be done. Yeah. And you know, you you said something that I thought was very interesting in this last passage, which is you've got to help the poor countries, but with the pervasiveness of externalities related to global warming and so forth, you're not just helping them; you're helping yourself. Meaning, if you don't deploy these technologies in those places, we won't meet the one and a half degrees or anything close to it. And then we will all suffer. So there is a, uh, how would I say, a need to acknowledge the, ex the pervasiveness of externalities and react to that in addition to the need of poverty or uh, to foster development to the places that are less advantaged. And I guess the people that I talk to, particularly in Africa about this, often emphasize to me that the carbon problem is not about this year, it's about the cumulative amounts. And America and Europe's cumulative burning of carbon is a very large proportion of the problem that we didn't shift gears years and years ago, as authors like Gus Speth have made very clear that we knew about it and we didn't do anything for almost 50 years. And so I, I think they have a, what I'll call a moral basis for demanding assistance in those 
developing areas because the people who set the stage for the problem are the rich communities who uh, burned a lot of carbon yesterday and the day before. So I fully agree because actually up to now, if you draw a graph to show the uh, per capita GDP and the per capita carbon emission, you can see an upward straight line, almost a straight line, which means the more advanced uh, countries tend to be the uh, per capita more uh, carbon emission countries. And uh, historically, if you look at the uh, where where the more advanced uh, economic and advanced countries where they came from, they use you know they they started the industrial revolution, which is the various large-scale use of the fossil energy and that that prompted the whole industrial revolution and then gradually uh, with that uh, with, with that gradually the the countries with the, their living standard improve they becomes the more consumption driven countries they move the manufacturing out to other countries but then they actually are still consuming those things and then at this stage, because of their living standard, they realize that we want to have a more a friendly, a greener environment, which is which is true, which is great. But the problem is that that's why in other countries not are not at this stage yet. So they really have to have understand this is a collective problem, and you, uh, in a sense, the whole whole human society is paying back the debt they own to the to our uh, 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 the. Mother Earth, you know, so because in the past hundreds of years, it is the industrial revolution, the very large scale use of the fossil energy that get us today. Our living standard standard is so much higher than before, but then we have created so much problem for the planet. Collectively, we have to pay this back. It's not just about the less developed countries, and it started with the much more advanced economic of us countries like Europe and United States and of course many other countries. So we have to do this collectively with the history in perspective. So it does make sense to pay back the debt from history. Yeah. There was once a uh, famous economist, he was called the Earl of Lauderdale. His name was Lord Maitland, the 13th Earl of Lauderdale. And when Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, he emphasized value as exchange value in the market. And the Earl of Lauderdale wrote a book that was very critical of the wealth of nations by saying, what we have is something that is not really value because if you turned off the water, if you turned off the oxygen, humankind would die. And so those things are obviously valuable, even though they're priced at zero. And what the Earl of Lauderdale seemed to foresee was that at that time, the population in the world in the degree of industrial development, as you were alluding to, was small enough that nobody was afraid of losing the climate or the air or the water. But it does seem to we now that we are embarked on that challenge and it's more complicated than the Earl of Lauderdale said because of this pervasiveness of externalities. The market left to its own devices won't price things adequately to reflect the side effects that are produced that can harm a lot of people. 
And there are a lot of people now who are very concerned in the United States that we have what they call a market for too many things. And what I mean by that is a market for politicians, a market for the corporate media, a market for university endowments, so that the truth can be thwarted, avoided, with a lady uh, named uh, Dr. Oreskes, Naomi Oreskes wrote uh, a book called The Merchants of Doubt, Sowing the Seeds of Doubt, Paying Off the Politicians, Stopping the Proper Design. And most people would accuse the big fossil fuel producers like Russia, the United States, Canada, and some of the Middle Eastern companies, countries, excuse me, that are based in the Middle East, uh, the companies are based there, uh, that, the, that these people have a vested interest in which you might call continuing to burn their fossil fuels. And what I like is your digital economy is monitoring it. Your circular economy is making the best of it. And the innovations in governance, which might include digital, can start to track the externalities and other things in ways that heighten consciousness. But we've got to figure out a way to, I will call, stop the commodification of social design and enforcement. We've got to find a way to free the world to do the right thing. And I think there's, as some have said, uh, there's a wonderful book by Bernard Harcourt at Columbia University called The Illusion of Free Markets, that markets are a tool, but the, the structure of the markets and the rules and the enforcement are political decisions. The market is not a god. The market is a tool. And your, your report does a beautiful job of using the market as a means to achieve this transformation. But I think, I think this, what I'll call the dark side of political economy, is a very important challenge, part of the challenge. Yeah, so thank you for your uh, wonderful comments. And, and so as, if we go back to Hayek, as Hayek said, uh, the market is an information processor. So essentially, its great strength comes from it uh, can, uh, can pull together and process a lot of decentralized information uh, from, from everyone. And uh, I think a uh, very important elements uh, for the market to be efficient. Well, no, why it's limited is uh, because some of the information is not processed enough. So I think that digital technology can help us to actually better measure and track the carbon emission, how severe the crisis it is. Because if we look back, why it takes so long, more than half a century for people to realize that we have to collectively uh, do something about it because we do not have enough evidence. We do not have a good measurement, so people debate, debate all the time, and then they are driven by other incentives. So the the better we can use the technology to to measure, to describe, uh, to how severe the challenge is, then so people will be reminded from the governments, the institution, individuals, we can do more. So uh, if we want to break the uh, uh, limitation of the traditional markets, it starts with the measurement. Uh, it, it starts with the proper technology. Then we can, we'll be forced to do something, and um, we can only hope that they can, it, this can uh, be much faster. Yes. Well, I must say, this is a very, very troubling time in many dimensions for people all over the world. And what I'm always afraid of 
is that if people are identifying a crisis, but without seeing the North Star of the way forward, the path to navigate, they become more frightened and they despair. And they perhaps then submit to what I will call uh, the comfort of authoritarian rule. And in the United States right now, whether people are talking about issues of race or gender inequality or fiscal discipline or the healthcare system, everybody is really pessimistic. And what I'm very, I, I want to congratulate you because in these, what I'll call dark times, you're shedding light with this report on the possibilities of doing something constructive of instead of just being afraid of technology, viewing technology as your partner in achieving these goals. The vision of the circular economy, the notion of, how would I say, the possibility of overcoming this challenge and allowing the world for our children and grandchildren to be prosperous. I think the very fact that you are constructive is as important it, well, obviously, the credibility and quality of the work partners with that so that people can feel some hope. And as you know, you run a leading institute, one of the world's most dynamic institutes, in my opinion. It's very hard to find people who have confidence. They sometimes fear being what you might call foolishly romantic. So they don't talk about the good news. They talk about the bad news. And what I think you did here, along with your team, with these experts, is you're, you are pointing a way forward that might alleviate, it might enhance confidence and alleviate despair and fortify trust, renewed trust in both expertise and governance, which I think are essential to accomplish this mission. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for your kind words. And uh, uh, I guess we have no choice. Uh, so if we look back, actually, it is precisely technology has brought our, brought the society to where we are. But then uh, the, whole, the, the whole history of the modern history is a history of the technology revolution, but it's also one of the constant anxiety because technology brings a lot of changes. It completely changed our life in a good way, but then it also brings a lot of side effects. And through this whole way, uh, we constantly, we, we have anxiety because it's very hard for us to predict what's going to happen next. It's changing us. But in the meantime, we have always been finding some good solutions, uh, the problems that brought by technology. So that has been history. And I think this time is no different and we have no choice. And so uh, we we have to face the, the, the while well, we enjoy the, the benefits of the technology, then we have to be realistic. We have to, we cannot sugarcoat the reality. And so, but I think there are ways to do it. And the, the, then uh, we, we need to have the, that's why we need to have the, the, the right approach. Uh, we have to realize what can be done and the best make the mix technology is useful to, to, to but anyway, let's, let's, we're hopeful we can do that. That's, that, that's the spirit. Well, I guess, you know, I had the, uh, the good fortune 
of growing up in a musical community called Detroit, Michigan. And when I listen to you, I think first of the famous song, Theme from Mahogany by Diana Ross in The Supremes, or it was by Diana Ross after the time of The Supremes, where she says, her, the song is, do you know where you're going to? Do you like the things that life is showing you? Yeah. Well, but the other one that I found very potent, it came, it, I let, sometimes these things come into my mind as I'm listening to the guests, and, and I was listening to you. I heard Marvin Gaye. He's got a famous song, which was transformational in the music, the political awareness in music of the, um, what call, might call soul movement, gospel and soul. It, his song was called, What's Going On? What's going on? What's going on? We got to find a way to bring some understanding here today. And as I read your report, I think you and your team have said at some level, if Diana Rosk is asking, do you know where you're going to? You guys found a way to bring some understanding here today. And I think, like I said in my previous comment, the ability to be constructive and find guidance, credible guidance, and the basis for optimism is absolutely the nourishment that we all need. So, my friend, keep up the good work. I'm, I'm very proud to know you. And I'm very much admiring of the things that you you create. And in this world, with the U.S. and China and everything else in turmoil, you're creating public good for all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you. And let's, uh, I'm gonna, as I, I always do, I attend many of your seminars. I love the one that you did recently on elder care, and uh, I brought some people who work in that realm as uh, observers. I think with all of the fiscal challenges of pandemic energy transformation, and what I'll call the boom, the baby boom bulge, the, the aging of the population, that was a very prescient thing. So I, I'm telling, I'm bringing that up along with your report today. Because what you do is impressive, and I want to encourage all of my audience and my young people to keep a close watch on the Luhan Academy, because you're illuminating very important things over and over and over again. Thanks so much, Rob. That's uh, doing our efforts. It, it, it's, it's wonderful. Well, keep up the good work, and I look forward to the next chapter that we can make uh, as you continue to uh, illuminate where we, where we should be going to. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And check out more from the Institute for New Economic Thinking at ineteconomics.org. And I'll tell it and speak it and think it and breathe it And reflect from the mountains so all souls can see it And I'll stand on the ocean until I start sinking but I'll know my song well before I start singing.